we lose an hour's sleep, but we're now in Hebrews 6, chapter 4, I'm sorry, uh, verses 4 through 12, which is not a very easy passage. It's an often misinterpreted uh, passage. It's often, mis- it's often uh, confusing to some, so I'm hoping that we could get into that and explain what that is all about. And uh, we're going to be in six, uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, so I'm going to jump right in and read. Now, last week, <clears throat> before I do jump right in, I'm going to give you a quick summary. What's going on here is the writer is trying to encourage this congregation out of their slumber. And he's starting to do that pattern of warning again. And excuse me, in Hebrews, we see this pattern. It's a pattern of warning. And then it's always a pattern after the the part of the pattern after that is encouragement. And then right after that is hope. And so this is a very particular harsh warning. It's done by a pastor who is passionately in love with his congregation, who is, I believe, as Paul said, in tears, trying to plead with them to choose Christ, to leave the elementary teachings of Christ, not to, not, not to just focus on the basics. Yeah, I got saved and uh, you know, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to avoid judgment and all these different things that he said. He wants us to move on to maturity. And as we talked about last night, that's going to require discipline. And or last week, discipline and also it's going to require discipleship. And so we talked about that. And now he's going to go into the warning in verse four. He says four. Because, you know, he's basically saying, you guys are, are, are really slacking here. So I'm going to warn you. He said, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For the ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. But verse 9, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, the things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. So here we see that full pattern of warning, encouragement, and then hope. But this is a very controversial passage because, again, and we we talked about this a a couple weeks ago or maybe a month or so ago when we were back in chapter 4, I believe, that this was a, a writer who was pastorally encouraging his people to urgently get out of the neglect 
that phase of neglect, that phase of plateau. Get out of that phase of drifting away because you do not know what you're messing with. This isn't a game, he's saying. You start messing around with this, you're going to drift and you're going to be unable to come back. And that's the part of what he's talking about here. He uses some very strong words. I want to tell you just as a side note that this is not necessarily a a, a theological uh, basis for specific doctrines about salvation. I'm just going to put that right out there. This is about a specific warning to people, which they like to, we like to say, third-partying those people, talking about those who are falling away. This is a strict warning that those who do this will not be able to come back. And that's what we're going to say. But why? Why won't they be able to come back? Well, first, verse 4 talks about it. They were enlightened. They were enlightened. It's a very unique word in the Greek. It comes from the word photizo, which we get photograph and photo and things like that. It means to be lit up or to shine the light. So they were enlightened by God. They were lit up, but it wasn't real. So we see the word photo again, and photography actually does the same thing. It manipulates light and gets all this light, and it brings it to the camera lens, taking those light rays and then using glass to make this sharp image, either in a digital, uh, on a digital film or on regular film. But it's not the real thing. It's only a photograph. And that's sort of what he's saying here. It's not the real thing. You were enlightened. You were like, wow, this is really interesting. This is giving me the ability to see some light here. Then he moves on, tasted, the word tasted. He says, for in the case of those who have been once a light enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. They did a lot of tasting, but not a lot of consuming. And that's the picture here. It's the meaning of sort of tasting something, getting the flavor of it, and then deciding that you don't want to eat it, right? Or like children like to do, like my son, Ezzy, if he used to give him something he didn't like, he would just spit it right out. Not going to taste it. I'll taste it, Dad, but I'm not going to eat it. And that's exactly what they were doing. Now, when you see here the tasting, it's referring to what he says, the heavenly gift. And again, the, the, the question, the elephant in the room is how, how could they have tasted? How could they have been a lot, uh, enlightened and then have fallen away? I don't get this. But the heavenly gift, what is that? <clears throat> well, it's referring, I believe, to two things. We say we see in Acts 2.38... Peter says, repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they've tasted of this gift of the Holy Spirit. It also refers to Jesus. John 4.10, Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, he would have given you living water. So we see the gift of God here interchangeably. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God is one. Both of them are fully God. So we could say they've tasted of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've been made partakers of the, whole, of the Holy Spirit as well. <clears throat> this isn't redundant here. He's not saying, well, you've tasted of the, Holy, of the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, and then you've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit was in you and working through you, and you were doing supernatural things. But guess what? It wasn't real. See, you might ask them, how can... How can people that are not saved do miracles? How can people that are not saved heal the sick? How can people who are not saved? I don't know. But Jesus, I tell you right now, God does what he wants to do. And he uses whoever he wants to use. We see that in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. All right, we're good with that. But check this out. Many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's a, that's a Holy Spirit gift. And did not we cast out demons in your name? That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And in your name perform miracles. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit too. And they did all those things. But guess what? They never knew Jesus. And Jesus says that right here. He says, you've done all those things, but I'm going to declare to you, I never knew you. You've never ever really took that step. You were never truly converted. You're not one of my sheep. You look like a sheep. You smelt like a sheep, but you weren't. And you proved that to be the case. And so this is a very scary thing. And it's also another what's going on here type of thing. We got people tasting of Jesus. We have people tasting of the Holy Spirit. We have people doing supernatural. But these people are not truly the people of God. Hmm. Now, the powers of the age to come, that was, the, that was the, the new creation that was being launched in Christ, that is resurrection. Jesus was that firstborn of that new creation. They tasted of the word, the powers of the age. They had all these things, but then they fell away. Now, here's where we want to find out. What does fall away mean? What does fall away mean? Well, when I know when I think about it, I think instantly if I was just reading this passage, I would say fall away. Well, I mean, there's been times where I fell away. You know, I, I went back and, and back to my sin, you know, many times and thought, you know, maybe God is done with me. And then for some reason, he picks me back up and shakes me off and takes all the mud off of me and cleans me and gets me all clean, and I say, cool, but, you know, I just want to dive back into that mud one more time, Lord, you know, and I'm falling away. God is keeping me going. He's keeping me going. That's not what they're talking about here. That's, that's falling into sin. That's moral failure. And God will always, I don't care what you've done in your life, how sinful you are or were, 
God will forgive you if you come to him and ask for forgiveness. He will never turn anyone away that comes to him. So this falling away is not talking about moral failures. They're talking about those people. This, this, this writer is talking from experience. He's seen this happen. He's not saying, you know, those that fall away. That, that he's saying that probably people in the group there know who he's talking about. Who left and went back to that old way. They had this amazing privilege of tasting and experiencing, but because of their constant drifting and sluggishness, they fell away, which is more than just sinning. It's something the Bible refers to as apostasy. An apostate is someone that doesn't just fall away. An apostate is someone that turns away from God and then mocks God, and then says, I am, that was, that is evil. This Jesus thing is evil. I was stupid. I'll never go back to it. I hate it. And I've seen it, and it's broken my heart. And it's not only broken my heart sometimes, but it scares me for people on how they blaspheme God after they leave the faith and try to attack it and attack it and attack it. And so from that point there, they are now an enemy of God. This is not on God's side of the issue. It isn't God saying, well, now what? You know, you left the faith and you talked bad about me and now you want to come and repent again? No, that's not what's happening. I'm not going to let you repent. I've just made an arbitrary rule that I'm going to, you know, not allow second repentance. And, uh, and I'm going to also negate all the whole Bible that talks about just the opposite of that. What am I talking about? Jesus never leaves nor forsakes his sheep. So these people were not Jesus' sheep because they themselves have now turned away and they are mocking God and they do not want to come back. And so the, so the hearers are going, wait a minute, but I'm not that bad. I'm just drifting a little bit man just give me a break i'm doing okay i mean you know i'll go through what you want me to do i'll listen no because you're on the same road those people were the pastor says to them this is exactly how it happens you start to get comfortable you start to dabble in sin you start to get sluggish you start not to care and then before you know it you're like what am i doing and you're rejecting christ But what happens here is that some people say, well, wait a minute. The impossibility of repentance, all things are possible with God. Again, this is not God's side of it. He would take people back when they come to him, if they've sinned and they come. But the ones that don't come back, it's them. They are, they are going completely away. So it's not about the impossibility of God being able to save them again because of some rule. It's the impossibility because this author, this pastor knows what happens. It, they cannot be convinced to come back. As a matter of fact, they've went and joined in with those who hate Jesus. And they got in their camp again. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about going back to the Jewish system of sacrifices Going back and saying, you know what? <clears throat> Knocking on the Pharisee's door. 
They open the door. What are you doing here? Well, I, I want to come back. I want to, I want to come back to the synagogue. I want to get, be, be back in the temple. I want to do everything. Are you nuts? You, you've been rejected by God. You, you're no longer part of our community. You're no longer the person of God. You went and followed that false Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not following him anymore. Well, then you need to renounce him. Oh, yeah, I do. I renounce him. No, you need to do it publicly. And of course, I'm speculating this whole story. But, you know, tomorrow you wake up, you come out before the Sanhedrin, and you publicly renounce Jesus Christ as a false prophet. And, they, and, and, and like that, that movie Silence, I don't know if you've ever saw that, but they used to take people that would renounce the faith and they would make them spit on the cross where they make them do something so bad that it was apparent to everybody that they were going apostate. And so this is what they were doing. They were going back and joining those, as it says here, um, they went and they repeated, they repeated the crucifixion, basically. They again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. How are they doing this? They're doing this. This is an illusion or a, uh, a uh, echo of the, of the people around. Listen to this. Remember after um, Jesus was on the cross, they didn't just let him hang there in pain and blood. Was, you know, it was a mess. You, you know the story. But they walked by him. Matthew tells us in, in, in chapter 27, those that were passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. They were mocking and mocking and mocking. And that's what they're putting him in that, they're putting these people that fall away into that category, going and re-crucifying him to themselves again. And of course, going back to that temple ritual where you're now got this Passover lamb, the blood of bulls and goats, and you're sprinkling that and trampling on the blood of the Son of God. To go back to that is worse than even the, as you were in the first, the Bible says. Peter, I believe, says that. Better off if they didn't know in the first place rather than know and come back. I'm looking for the scripture here. It's, it's, it's like way sort of, sort of towards uh, the end of my message. And I, and I jumped ahead here. So I wanted to give that to you first. <clears throat> Check this out. Speaking of the same sort of situations. 2 Peter 2, 20 to 22. For if after they've escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them, the defilements of the world, and are overcome by them, because that's what ends up happening. You drift, you drift, you get into sin, you get overcome by sin, and then you become apostate. That would be the last state. So they're entangled in sin, and they're overcome, and the last state becomes worse for them than the first. It would be better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than to having know it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. And this has happened to them according to the proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. 
That means a washed pig will always go back into the mud. A washed pig. See there? A washed pig. He's not, these are people that are apostate. They're not part of, they're not sheep. A washed sheep will go back into the mud and the shepherd will go after him. But the shepherd's not the shepherd of those, of the goats or those pigs. So they're naturally going to do what's natural to them. And that is go back like a dog to its vomit. We also see other uh, aspects of this too. Uh, hints, hints of this uh, impossibility of repentance for certain people that are not in their apostate. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 12 about uh, the Jews were telling him that you're casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. Jesus was the prince of peace. So Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a house divided against it is divided against itself, it's going to fall. So they were saying that Jesus was Satan, basically. Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And so he says, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. And so there are certain things that indicate that when people do these things, they are so far gone that it's impossible for them to ever want to turn around and come back to Christ. They'll never want to come back. And we read about this, and even sometimes God will turn those people over to their sins. Read Romans 1, turning them over to a debased mind, turning them over to do to be attracted to strange flesh, turning them over with lust to, to lust and all those things. Go ahead, keep doing it. Pile wrath up for yourself on the day of wrath. They weren't there. They weren't people of God. <clears throat> so this was a very serious charge. But the hope, the good news. <clears throat> Let's go to verse 7 and read that. Now, if, if people would just focus on verse 7 and 8, I believe this two verses validate everything I said about who these people are. They're not the Christians. They're not people that are saved. These are people who have proven themselves to be apostate. And he shows, the, uh, he gives another analogy here to show what he means. He says, for ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those who, for whose sake it's tilled, it receives a blessing from God. Again, notice this. This is rain falling on a ground. God gives the increase. That rain falls on the ground. What's it going to bring? Well, was the ground tilled? Oh, yeah, this is really tilled by a hardworking farmer. He really, he understands it. Okay, good. It brings forth vegetation. But that farmer that just looks at that land and doesn't till it and doesn't do anything, he uses the other analogy. He says, it, but if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed. So obviously the farmer did something wrong. But the picture here is between those two, two results. Some water, referring to all the stuff that he was just talking about, the word of God and you know getting sown in their heart and tasting of this and being enlightened and all that, if that was real... 
it would, like a farmer plants vegetation, they would have shown that they were truly Christians because it would have produced vegetation. It would have shown itself to be real. But when it doesn't come up, it's only, it's only good to be burned. And we see again a hint there to the curse in the garden. Thorns and thistles. It's close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. Jesus said the same thing. Look, you want to be my disciple? Here it is. Here's the prescription. <clears throat> be a vine plugged, be a branch plugged into the vine. That's it, Lord. Well, yeah, you're going to produce fruit, different fruit, each of you. But you're going to stay plugged into the vine. But guess what? If you find yourself laying on the ground as a branch, you've unplugged from the vine. And now you can't bear fruit. And now you're only good for one thing. And that is to be thrown in the fire to be burned as that branch. So he brings this into clear view. And then in verse 9, <clears throat> that ever so amazing and powerful conjunction in three-letter word, but. And I, and I know there's a shirt somebody here wore one time that said, but God. Because that is the best but. But changes directions. But, you know, when you ask your, your, your son or your wife or your husband something and you say, did you do that? And, oh, yeah, I did that, but. And you're like, oh, we know we're going in the opposite direction now. I forgot to get this, right? Um, the but here is amazing because he says, but beloved, that's a word for the elect. Okay, sometimes it's translated elect. But beloved, those that are gods, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Things that accompany salvation. So we see here that he's not talking about them. He's talking about those who have fallen away. But from them, he is convinced of better things. They're going to do things and their life is going to look like they're saved and they're following Jesus as a disciple. They're digging in more. They're getting more of the meat. They're getting into the meat of the word. They're trading in those baby bottles. And they're, they're, they're getting some, uh, some steak and some knives. And they're going to cut it in small little pieces. But they're going to start somewhere. And they're going to move forward and start becoming this mature. He's convinced of that. Even though, he says, though even though we're speaking this way. And then he says in verse 10, For God's not unjust so as to forget the, your work and the love which you have shown towards his name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. Look at that. That's good. I love that. This is a strong, these are people that are doing the work of God. Okay? They're doing the work of God. The love towards his name. <clears throat> ministering to the saints. These people were showing some fruit. But he didn't care about that because he knows that there could be people in that congregation that although they're showing some fruit, they could still prove to be somebody that is apostate if they continue down this road of up and down sluggishness, drifting and things like that. So that's the point of this. 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize, again, that, that word assurance is used here. Remember they told him to hold on to your assurance? Now he's telling him to realize 
You must realize the full assurance of hope that you have to the end. Don't take what I'm saying here and start whining about I'm not saved. No, you are the people of God. But now you got to start to move and love Christ more. Get more mature in that area. Hold on to that hope. And he says at the very end, here's why I'm telling you this, guys, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and promises, I'm sorry, faith and patience inherit the promises. These key words here, things that accompany salvation. Do you have things in your life that are accompanying salvation? Have you ever thought about leaving God? Have you ever just thought about giving up? I'm done with this whole God thing. I'm going to go out and I'm going to leave. And people hate that. When you're teeter-tottering with Christ, it's one of the most stressful things on somebody's life. When God has his hand on you, waiting for that decision, waiting to see, are you going to finally make a a point here and, and fully jump in? Are you going to do that? And then he sees it. Are you doing those things? Yes, good. And then he will give you more. But are you? Examine your life. Have you ever thought about going out and just saying, I'm done with Jesus? And God will test you too. You'll go out and someone will say, still going to that church? Nah, I'm done with all that. Yeah, man, that's so crazy. That's stupid. This, that, and there's so many myths out there about Jesus. And you start believing it. And you start rejecting him. And then before you know it, you've completely forgot. And there's nothing that you would ever want to do back here at the church. There's nothing you would ever hear, want to do with Jesus anymore. You're actually praying now that, you, that you would even, he would even get out of your mind. This is, what it, this is where apostasy looks like. And so I warn you now as the pastor here, as this pat, in light of the pattern of this, It would be silly for me just to say, but everything's going to be okay now. Let's go eat. I have to say to you, you know, examine yourself. Are you are you at risk for apostasy? I feel funny even saying that because I would say no. I don't see anybody here that that I believe would do that. But I know that there could be people here that will ultimately end up there. And that's a place of death. And that's a place of separation from God. That's only the beginning. You'll continue to grow further and further and further away. And then you will go to God and you'll curse him. You don't want to be, you will not want to be with him when you die. You will not change your mind all of a sudden and say, yeah, now I want Christ. Nope. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to scream and pull your hair and say, why did you do this? I could never serve a God like you. And all of the reasons why, whatever it is that led you to that, you'll stick up for yourself. You'll proclaim your kingdom. And, and he says that you will bow and confess his name. But then after that, you will, you will be separated. And so this is a very, very um, uh, sobering passage. It's been a sobering journey through Hebrews. But I love it. I love going through these passages because it challenges me, it challenges us. Let's get out there. Like, let's go out and take stuff from this. Not just like, oh, yeah, that's really good. We got to make sure... But we have to realize that we're looking at the most catastrophic possibility of your life. It's not, you know, physical in this case. 
It's, it's, it's complete separation from the Lord. Rejecting Jesus and putting him to open shame. So I would say that my application here would be that you have to, in, if you are in a situation right now where you are drifting or in, your, in neglect, then you have to urgently have a talk with Jesus. You need to have a face-to-face with him. You need to be transparent. And you need to go to him with all of your sins that, you, that you're completely ashamed of. And you have to lay him at his feet. And you want to do that every day, walking in grace. And he says, when you do that, he says, you can know. You can know for sure, for certain that you have been justified. You're walking in grace. You've been saved by the gospel. The blood is covering you. And now you're a tool in the master's hand. Don't have unanswered questions uh, in your mind about God. If you have doubts, these are another tool, Satan. Doubts in your mind about God, about the word of God. Is it really true? How could Jesus really raise from the dead? Write them down. Deal with it. This is going to be a long, long process of becoming mature in Christ like God wants us to. It's a lifelong study, but it's so, so joyful and so exciting. Because you know what? When, you, when, I, when I get to a, a verse like this, I always like to reverse engineer the topic. In other words, find out all the things that it's not. Okay, so at least then I'll be left with what it probably is. And we know we talked about this verse. It's not about losing your salvation off of a moral uh, sin that you've committed. It's a rejection. It's, It's apostasy. But that's still scary. And when you get to these verses, think about the verses of God's security over your salvation. I love it. This is going to be our benediction. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is going to snatch them out of the father's hand. We're talking about the strength of the hand of God. So I hope that that encourages you. These are the things I think about when I come to these verses, but I never let the warning go aside. And I encourage you not to do that either. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here on that path, Lord, that you would turn them, God, that you would give them a wake-up call. Lord, that you would give them a wake-up call by giving them a fresh vision of your love for them. And that you would, in the fresh vision of what they, what Christ has given to them, what He's done for them, Lord, you offer forgiveness to all that come to you in the name of Christ. I pray that there's anyone here that needs that confirmation of that forgiveness and confirmation that they are yours. Maybe they are considering walking away. Maybe they are struggling so much in sin that they don't even know what to do, but they can come to you, the sin bearer, and get forgiveness. And I thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.